Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Andreas, who lost his wife of over 35 years in November 2020 after a long period of illness. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Andreas. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, and thank you for spending this time with me. I really look forward to exploring a little bit with you. Thank you. So here on the Grief Stories podcast, we'd like to talk about people's stories of loss and try and and think about what are some of the things that we want to share that might be helpful for other people who might be going through a similar experience. So in in that spirit, I'd like to invite you to share a bit about your story of loss with us today, please. Okay. Well, my wife, Anya, uh, died in November 2020, and uh, so we're talking about eight months, and uh, in some ways, it feels like a lifetime ago. In some ways, it feels like just moments ago. It's a, uh, Each day is a new sort of new set of challenges and adventures, I guess. Um, but what led to her death in, in November of 2020 uh, was a series of health challenges. She was um, diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica, I guess about a year and a half before that. And uh, there is no cure for that. Uh, the treatment is normally a course of steroids, prednisone. And so she was on, on fairly high doses of prednisone for the year and a half. And whenever they tried to bring the dose down and and get her off the prednisone, her, her body would go into a flare-up. And so it was this back and forth, up and down, roller coaster ride of, of medication. And I suspect that towards the end, it was just a little bit too much for her, her body to handle. And um, so on a Wednesday at noon, we were getting ready for an appointment. She had a, an appointment with a chiropractor and uh, getting dressed and I was about to get the car out of the garage, and I heard her call for me. She said, help me. And when I came to help her, she said, I think I'm going to die. And that's exactly what happened. It was just uh, a matter of her slipping away so gently and so so quietly. And uh, there I was holding her in my arms, and that's sort of how it happened. Hmm. And so in that in that gentle, unexpected moment, there's that loss that represents so very much, so much of your life. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, when I go back to those initial moments, um, I, I guess I, on one level, I was thinking that she had passed out uh, because her, you know, her body, she was sitting down, she, her body just sort of went limp. So I just gently tapped her on the she- cheek and uh, tried to revive her. And when that wasn't happening, I phoned 911 and they sort of walked me through doing chest compressions. And uh, boy, oh boy, I'll never forget that. That was mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of when the when the when the trauma 
kicked in, I realized that I was not going to get her back. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That's such a, a hard thing to do, um, to try to revive someone who you love so much and when it's the stakes are so high mm-hmm. and, and that realization uh, when, it's not, when it's not working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's different. You would have been living with the idea of grieving Anya for some time with those kind of diagnoses and that kind of health concerns. You've been thinking about what losing her would be like. Oh my gosh, had I ever. And uh, and this is the sort of the complicated thing when you're in a situation like that, that uh, I, I was seeing her deteriorate uh, week by week and she was in a lot of pain and uh, we tried different uh, pain relievers, nothing touched the pain and she was in agony really a lot of the time and I remember a couple of times at least thinking, please God take her because this is just so cruel for somebody to go through this. So I, 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 I knew it was serious. I knew it was bad. And I was also at the same time hoping for some sort of release and, you know, all those things get mixed up together, right? When you're living, living through that. And I, and I guess uh, now that I look back at it, certainly at the time I wasn't as aware, but now looking back, I, I, sure, I did realize that uh, she might not come through this. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, I think, how our minds work, because when we're anticipating grief, we think we know mm-hmm. what we're getting into. We think we're doing our work. And then when the actual death happens, it's actually quite a shock, even when we've been expecting it in some ways. and. Yeah. Even Isn't when there's funny? an, it is, our minds are, our minds are really powerful things. Even when, to me, sorry go ahead. To interrupt. It seems to me that there are different ways of knowing, right? There's that, that sort of that rational, um, that sort of thinking brain that understands the possibilities and can sort of figure things out, but it's the emotional thinking that really, uh, for me anyway, was far more powerful. Mm-hmm. You're right, right? Sometimes we think with our mind, our brain, and sometimes we think with our heart or our gut. Um, and we have those instincts or um, emotional and sometimes spiritual connections to the other person that, that, you know, we're feeling, anticipating a loss, we're feeling it in all of those ways. And they don't always connect because sometimes the heart is doing something different than the head, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think the shock of the loss is powerful, even when there's an element where we feel like, oh, thank goodness they're not suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there can be that element of a little bit of relief for the person, because especially when they are suffering significant pain or real challenges, we don't want them to have that suffering. You know, we want them to feel better. When we talked um, ahead of the podcast, you mentioned how vibrant Anya was and how delightful she was in life. She right? really was. I, I um, you know, when we were talking about the, the anticipatory aspect of grief, um, part of what ties in here is that, of course, there was um, an age difference between us. She was many years older than I was. She was very cagey about her about disclosing her exact age. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to respect that and say that there was, let's say uh, there was at least 20 years difference. Um, She was older by 20 20 years. And so during the course of our relationship, 
even when she was healthy, even when she was, you know, in her in her prime, um, there was this sort of uh, in the back of my mind this this understanding that um, chances would be that she would she would die before me. Mm-hmm. All things being equal, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a, a weird thing to to carry with you for well, we were together for thirty five years, and so in in some fashion. I think I do recognize that there was that that um, part of me that was somehow preparing myself in advance, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, not not actively, not certainly not every day, but just you know, you can't. There are some things you can't hide from, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and the age difference uh, at certain times would be more apparent to me, and so. Yeah, that's that's part of my that's part of my journey is just sorting all of that stuff out in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. When you have a relationship and there's that much of a difference in age, there's a natural tendency to think about the expectation that the older person will go first and that mm. feeling that that feeling of anticipating or expecting that the loss will happen at some point. And of course, again, we come back to what the head does and what the heart does and not wanting that to happen or hoping that it's a millennia away. (laughs) That's right. Right? And, and, and I guess that's what, what people mean when they talk about denial, right? It's Mm -hmm. not that you, it's not that you don't recognize the situation, but you just wish it weren't so. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our wishing is so powerful that it carries us into a place where we can set aside what's real for a time, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that that works to our benefit because it gives us some really joyous moments and other times it it causes a bit of a crash when reality comes in, right? Yes. And that's a, you know what, uh, Maureen, that's a perfect word that you just used because that's, that is sort of the feeling that I have even now when I, when I'm finding myself sort of replaying things and coming to terms with Anya's death, it really does. um, There's sort of that reality that sets in and it does set in with a crash. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So this is, this is the new reality. And again, it's not that I mentally don't understand, but it's uh, the emotional acceptance of it. You know, this is this is real. This is really real. And that feels like you're crashing. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is such an element of the upheaval that sometimes death brings. It changed everything in your day-to-day existence when Anya died. Mm, absolutely. Yes. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, we were both musicians. She was my uh, teacher. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. And so um, over the years, our lives were just uh, joined in, in very mu- wonderful ways, many wonderful ways. Uh, we we worked together. We played together. We we did a lot of things together. So, uh, yeah, when, that's, when that changes suddenly, um, it's like learning how to live all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important concept, that learning how to live all over again. I often talk about the fact that grief is really a process of adapting to Uh this, you know, to this reality without your person here. Uh Mm -hmm. And that kind of lends itself to thinking about the fact that in Anya's last few 
years. You were also her caregiver with all of the health concerns she had. You were doing a lot of work to make her comfortable. And and so that has some impact as well on your grief process, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Because I was I was working, I was employed, I had meetings to go to, I had things things to arrange, and um, but as Anya's needs were more pronounced, it, it it placed pressure on me to to make sure that she was getting the care that she needed, and uh, and then juggle my you know the work aspect of my life. And when I look back on it now, I think, wow, how did I ever do that? That was really, that was really challenging. That was really stressful. And and again, as you said, you know, when that when that comes to an end, it's, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. It is hard to figure out, and it's interesting because caregiving is often fraught with a combination of the desire to be helpful and resentment of the need. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Like we we are we are human, right? Yeah. And those are the, those uh, those demands, those extra demands on our time and energy. That's hard to sustain. And I know there were times that I that I struggled. I reached out for help, and uh, I really basically said, "I need. I can't do this on my own. I can't. I just can't do it anymore." Uh, which is interesting because uh, actually, on the morning that she died, she met with an occupational therapist, who was was a response to my 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 SOS I phoned asking for help and uh had a conversation with Anya just trying to make things a little bit easier and uh I just I remember that morning feeling such relief just knowing that I didn't have to do this all myself mm-hmm. because watching someone you love so much decline and and not being sure how to best help them and trying to be everything in those moments is really, really hard. Some might say it's impossible to do all of that. I mean, it's possible to do it, but to feel like you're doing it well is another story, isn't it? That's right. Yes. And, you know, as I think about it, the the, the aspect of caregiving and what we talked about earlier, um, the sense of anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. To me, this is making more and more sense that in my desire to keep Anya well and alive for as long as possible, I was in a way placing more pressure on myself to be the perfect caregiver, right? <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to just make sure that nothing happened to, to further um, you know, impact her health. I think when we live with someone with chronic and perhaps terminal illness, there's an element of wishful thinking that really carries us sometimes. That desire to help is so powerful and and the balance of optimism where, you know, hope and optimism fall into that wishful thinking. You know, maybe if I do this well, then it will be okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. There is a toll to that, right? There's an emotional toll to living that way every day. Mm-hmm. And a physical one at times as well. You know, it 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 can drain our energy and take a toll on on the mm-hmm. caregiver's health as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's part of the stuff that I think I'm still I'm still dealing with. You know, after eight months, mm-hmm. um, just again, just trying to work it out and uh, and also to give myself permission, I suppose, for you know, just knowing that I did what I could. And I'm only human, so there was only so much I could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really having compassion for yourself, knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, 
we, as humans, we really do the best we can. I, f- I firmly believe we do the best we can. And, and sometimes our best is not what we wish it was, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the best we can do in a given moment. And, yeah. and, uh, and so being able to just be kind with ourselves in those moments is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are some big challenges, you know, losing your partner of 35 years, someone you had spent so much of a delightful life with, and then the process of losing her over time, and then the suddenness of loss in the moment of loss, right? Mm -hmm. What have been some of the things that have helped you in the last eight months, or or even a little bit longer as you were preparing to grieve Anya? What have been some of the things that have helped you? I would say that uh, walking the dog, mm. <laughs> as mundane as that sounds, has been a huge help for me. It's it's gotten me out of out of the situation. So even before Anya died, when she was sick, it got me out of the house. You know, fresh air, outdoors, walking, moving, and it also gave me permission to sort of have those those talks with myself and do the grieving, do the crying. I still do that. I that's sort of my time to to verbalize what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. So being being outdoors for walks, for bike rides, I find those are just really really good opportunities for stuff to happen uh internally. That's been really important and the other thing early on, uh so in November 2020, you'll remember near the end of no- November here in Ontario, we went into a, a another lockdown, pandemic lockdown situation. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing my my really early initial grieving quite isolated. And I got to tell you, I, there were times where I thought I was really going to lose my mind. I was just so overwhelmed with these these uh, memories, these thoughts, these feelings. And um, talked to a, a friend who said, why don't, you, why don't you start writing it down? So I started writing these little uh, vignettes, these little essays, we called them Anya Moments. And I, I post them to Facebook and share them with my Facebook friends. And I don't know, again, I don't know how I could have coped without that because that just sort of opened up. Although I wasn't in the company of other people, I was sort of in that virtual social media company. And just being able to to get my thoughts and emotions out there, but also to know that they were being shared and, and that there was some feedback from my friends as well. I, that was huge for me, really huge. And something that I, you know, if it hadn't been f- for the pandemic, I don't think I necessarily would have gone down that path, but it was a lifesaver to, to, mm-hmm. to do the writing and to do the sharing. Yeah. And to feel back maybe what felt like a virtual hug in people's response to your writing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There was so much encouragement, so much, um, affirmation and people were really respectful to to honor what I was saying and also to to sort of reflect I think in their own lives and their own uh, losses mm-hmm. uh, stuff that was really helpful to me in in just sort of reiterating the fact that I'm I wasn't alone right mm-hmm. yeah well because you felt very alone and as one does in a pandemic lockdown often and you have, I mean, now that we, we can say it often, we know that now because we've been in this for 18 months, right? Mm. And so the circumstances were not such that made a lot of the things that we traditionally have done in grief to yes. connect with our with our loved ones, 
right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, we've all felt the absence of of human touch, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that's that's obviously what I was craving, not having it with Anya, but then not also not being able to share hugs or even a handshake. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. I didn't think I'd ever really miss that that skin-to-skin contact, but... I was craving it. I really was craving mm-hmm. it. It was a hard thing to to live through. Mm-hmm. And so this opportunity, when you wrote and posted on Facebook, was that um, way of forming that uh, some kind of connection that would fill that space, um, mm-hmm. not in the same way as a hug or a handshake does, but at least connect you to some people who could just hold space for your experience at the time and sometimes move into that space themselves, maybe using your reflections as a way to do their own reflection. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, from a purely (laughs) personal selfish uh, aspect, I was doing something so that all these, these memories and, and thoughts weren't stuck in my head. They, I was getting them out somehow. Mm So hugely therapeutic that way. Yeah, and and really a, a, a kind of beautiful tribute to Anya and your time with her. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know what? I, I the other day I I collected them and was just curious how you know what the word count. I I wrote ten thousand words <laughs> over the mm-hmm. space of a couple of months. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was pretty intense and pretty significant. So something yeah. that I think uh, in time I will be able to look back as well and and uh, hopefully have even more insight into what I was going through. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to answer uh, your question a little more fully. You asked what was what has been helpful to me. And, and I found that in the last little while, I'd say in the last month or two months, uh, I found myself being able to sit with other people who are uh, similarly dealing with personal loss, personal grief. And I find that it's really, really helpful f- for me as a griever to be able to to sit with somebody and listen empath- empathetically and just let them do their sharing, let them do their, their uh, talking of their experience. And uh, so that's, that's a huge help to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that's um, actually happens quite frequently that people in their own pain as they're working to heal it are then able to be with others and that the finding that meaning in being with others is a part of continuing your own healing process for you know that's what it feels like absolutely and there's a Mm -hmm. there's sort of um what i'm finding now is having gone through what i've gone through is there's no awkwardness in talking about it I'm just reflecting on those conversations that you that you have with somebody who's bereaved and you don't know quite what to say or how to say it or whatever. Um, but once you've gone through it, there's there's you're just sort of a little bit more relaxed about it. You're just you're okay with it. You can you can go to those places and not necessarily have to say anything, right? Mm, that's so important. The idea of having a sense of what's helpful or what or what might not be helpful. And being sensitive to what works in the moment, and then the and then the the confidence to allow silence. Yes, and that's a scary a scary place to be sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. We, we we love to fill silence up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and and you know, filling silence is often our way of trying to fix things. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. And the thing about death is that it can't be fixed. It just has to be adapted to. Yeah. We keep on coming to that, coming back to that. And that's, and that's, that's part of that ongoing pain that that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, when you talk about being able to sit in silence, to be able to move past what used to feel awkward and just be present with the person where they are, it's like an honoring of the, Mm. of the, of the, the reality that this can't be fixed, it just is, right? Yes, and if I could add something to that, just as you're saying what you just said, it's a way for me anyway to honor uh, Anya's memory because I think she would be just so delighted, just thrilled uh, to know that, that my experience of her death is somehow helping me to help others. I think she would be just so... Uh, yeah. The teacher in her would love that. She, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there are sayings around that, right? Like that you teach best what you yourself need to learn or something like that. Mm, sometimes That's very much what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and when you can teach something, it's also a sign that you know it well. Uh, well, <laughs> one of these days I hope to know this well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're, again, you know, you're in early days. Eight months is not a very long time to be adapting to this, even with 35 years of anticipating the the possibility it would come, right? Because the reality is so different than the the anticipation uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. offers. You have been on this journey and taking good care of yourself as you as you walk the path, sounds like, making sure that you're doing the things when you can that help you including walking the dog is a is a is an amazing routine in the day that keeps you moving every day forward right mm-hmm. moving through writing and sharing your story in ways with people that you trust and having that circle of sharing the story and and hearing others stories back and and then um, being able to be present with people is another thing and and you've said that's more recent and that makes sense to me because you had to do some of that other work before you could be at a place to be with others again. Right. Because I, I, I think there is, there is sort of a, a normal tendency for us to, to um, focus on our own wounds. Right. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm quite aware of that when I'm meeting with, with other people who are dealing with grief, that this is, this is for them. This is not about me, you know, trying to, use the opportunity for me to do my my grieving and i and i i appreciate what you just said that that it takes it takes time to get to that that point mm-hmm. it does it it's a sign that's that your healing is coming along that you're able to put someone else's needs there um because in the in the days when our grief is raw it's hard to put anyone else first we have to tend to that rawness before we're ready to even be beside someone else sometimes mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Very much, yeah. As much as we maybe desire that connection, it's also hard to to be balanced in it in the beginning when we are in such pain, right? So, yeah, uh, that 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 desire to be with people, but not not to be with people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the beginning, when everything just hurts so badly, 
um, it's hard to find a comfortable fit no matter who you're with often. And so the, the movement through that to a place where you can try to be the comfortable fit for another person in the, in the process is, uh, is a, is a powerful healing. Thank you so much for sharing your story today with us. Thank you, Maureen. You know, it's been really helpful for me to, um, to, to share a little bit, but also to have your, um, your impressions being shared as well. And, and, and to have that, that sort of affirmation in how you're, you're responding to, to, to what I'm saying. So uh, I know I will come away from this with a lot of stuff still working in my mind and things to sort out and things to new things to consider and new angles. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for, for doing that. Uh, well, thank you. I, I always welcome these conversations because I think that when we talk about these things that can be so hard to carry, sharing the story helps us ease the way that we can carry it through our lives. And and so I'm 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 glad to know that my reflections have helped you in in uh, this process as well because I know that this story will touch and connect and help others as we as we play it. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing. <music>